Hello, friends. It's great to be back with you today for another episode of the In Focus podcast, taking a fresh look at the Bible, some big Christian ideas, and how they bring our world into focus, empowering us to live new, more eternal kinds of lives within it. I'm your host, Justin Laughlin, husband, dad, pastor, and most importantly, follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. So here we are, diving into our fourth episode in this current series on the business at hand. The catalyst for this series is Jesus' parable from Luke 19, in which Jesus brings into focus the time in which we are all living in a most poignant way. First, Jesus told his disciples that there would be a significant window of time between his ascension and his return. Second, he revealed three stereotypical responses, three stereotypical people that would take their places in God's story in this window of time between the ascension and the return. First, there are rebellious people strongly opposed to Jesus' claim of lordship and authority over their lives. Second, there are people who see themselves as servants of the king, but whose lives prove otherwise. In other words, they just live for themselves instead of doing what the king wants them to be doing. And then third, there are faithful servants who go about the king's business in his absence. It doesn't take much of a look around to see how accurate and true Jesus' parable is. It's been quite a while, and we're still waiting for the king's return, and everywhere we look, we see these three stereotypes, rebellious opposition to Jesus, pretenders, and faithful servants. And then finally, in the parable, Jesus makes clear that people's embrace or rejection of the king, as well as their faithful obedience or lack thereof, determine their places in the coming kingdom. The active rebels face harsh consequences for opposing the king. The passive rebels, in other words, the unfaithful servants, have everything taken away from them upon the king's return, and then the faithful servants are rewarded beyond measure. So, with this scenario in mind, understanding that this is the time in which we are living, we turned the past two episodes to the king's final instructions in the accounts of Matthew and Mark Matthew emphasizing the making of disciples who make disciples, and Mark emphasizing the proclamation of the gospel throughout the whole world. And then today, we are jumping past the account of the king's final instructions in Luke in order to hear from John. We'll then conclude our series in the next episode with Luke's account that spans from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts. And having laid out both where we've been and where we're going, let's now turn to John 20 for John's account of the king's final instructions, his account of the commissioning of the disciples before the ascension, which takes place in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, let's unpack this scene a little bit and bring the business at hand into focus. Two times in this short scene, Jesus says, Peace be with you. While this would be a clear, concise, and meaningful thought for Jesus and his followers, 
that clarity and meaning needs to be brought back into focus for those of us living in entirely different contexts and settings almost 2,000 years later. For Jesus and his first followers, peace meant far more than just the absence of conflict. Peace was a robust Jewish concept tracing back through the Old Testament. It includes these major ideas, being right with God, being right with other people, and being rightly situated within the world around you. So when Jesus blessed the disciples with peace, it was no small thing. He was speaking a tremendous blessing over them. He was saying that through his life, death, and resurrection, the world, their world, was being made right. Right with God, right with each other, right. Just like God always intended for their lives to be amidst his good creation. And herein lies the mission. Not only have they been blessed with this peace, they are now being sent out as agents and ambassadors of peace, just like Jesus was first sent by the Father. Jesus made them right with God, right with each other, and right in the world, and now they are out on mission to see others being made right with God, right with each other, and right in the world. As we see in this passage, forgiveness is obviously a huge part of the mission. To be made right with God and right with others is going to necessitate a lot of grace and forgiveness. And Jesus' ambassadors are to be about the business of forgiveness as they work out the reconciliation of people, both to God and to each other. The Holy Spirit also plays a central role in John's commissioning and the disciples' forthcoming mission, even more than meets the eye. To fully appreciate what's happening in John's commissioning of the disciples, we need to hear what John has been saying all along. First, from the very beginning, John connects us to the very beginning— By quoting the first words of the Bible in the beginning. With this not-so-subtle hint, John takes us into the story of creation and recreation. Whereas Genesis follows with a poetic account of God's creative work over the course of seven days, John tells his story of creation and recreation with a bunch of sevens. There are seven I am statements concerning Jesus' identity, seven signs, seven women, seven feasts, seven witness testimonies, seven testimonies of John the Baptist, seven timeliness statements, and seven waters, all of these sevens being woven throughout John's account of the gospel. Finally, John closes out his sevens with another phrase borrowed from Genesis, this time chapter 2, verse 1, which closes out the first week of creation. It is finished. Jesus' final words as recorded by John in John chapter 19, verse 30. And at this point, John has taken us from in the beginning to it is finished. Except John's story is not finished. Something extraordinary is about to take place. After all the sevens that comprise chapters 1 through 19, chapter 20 begins another trail of breadcrumbs pointing to a new reality that is unfolding in and through Jesus. First, John notes in chapter 20 verse 1 that we have now come to the first day in a new week. We just read that the first sevens are finished and now we have arrived at something new. Next, when we encounter Jesus for the first time in this new week, John provides an unusual detail, that the women mistake Jesus for the gardener. 
Now, we're all familiar with the original gardener and the profound implications that he had for all the people living in God's story. But now, a new day has come, a new week has begun, and a new gardener is in town. Next, John reminds us again in verse 19 that we have come to the first day of the new week. And now, the final detail of note from this account should jump off of the page. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, God originally gave humanity the breath of life all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Chaos, mayhem, and disaster soon followed until it seemed like there was no hope for creation. It seemed as though God's good plans and purposes had been lost to the schemes of the devil in partnership with rebellious humanity. But not so. The Savior and King has now come. A new day and a new week has dawned. A new gardener is in town. And humanity has been given the breath of life once again. We have been restored to our place in the presence and partnership of God. And now, until the King returns, our mission is to live and share this good news of what Jesus has done. It is to live and share this new, restored life in God, the life that God always intended. Last week, we spent some time looking at how Paul helped bring into focus the business of gospeling. And before wrapping up this episode, we now return to Paul for his take on all that we've been learning from John. The first of two passages we'll consider comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, in which he recaps the story and the gospel in a very John-like manner. Here are those verses from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there's the recap. Another perspective on Jesus as the pinnacle of the big story unfolding from creation to recreation. And within this passage, another term Paul introduces to his non-Jewish audience to help them grasp the significance of peace, we find, is reconciliation. Jesus brought peace. He made us right with God. He reconciled us to God, Paul says. Through Jesus the Christ, the church holds together, and in fact, the whole world holds together. Through Jesus, everything has been made right in heaven and on earth, and everything reconciled. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the business at hand. 
because we have been sent out to bring peace just as Jesus was sent by the Father to bring this peace. And now, one more word from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what Jesus has done. That's who we are, and that is the mission before us. That's the business at hand, in focus, to live as ambassadors of peace and reconciliation. To see people being made right with God, right with each other, and rightly situated in this world. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to restore the kind of life in God, with God, and according to God's purposes that God intended for humanity to be living all the way back from the beginning. This business, of course, cannot be separated from gospeling. It is the outworking of the gospel. In fact, it is the hope of the gospel, as Paul just told us. This mission is also the life of discipleship, a kind of life for all humanity, a life immersed in the presence of God, and a life of obedience to the King and to the business at hand. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a new day. A new week has dawned, and we are now part of God's redemptive mission, the setting right of all the plans and purposes God had in mind for this creation from the very beginning. It's all being realized in and through Jesus Christ, and we are His servants between now and His return. So be excited, be encouraged, and let's do this. Thanks for tuning in and for checking out today's episode. I hope that it has helped to bring your world and the King's business at hand into a little better focus, empowering you to live a more eternal kind of life here and now between the King's ascension and his return. If you're streaming today's episode from a podcast provider, it'd be great if you take a second to give it a good review and to become a subscriber. Your engagement helps it become easier for new listeners to find the show in the future. If you'd like, you can also share this episode directly with your friends on social media. A link is provided to this episode in the show notes to do just that. And until next time, as we continue and wrap up this series on the business at hand between the King's ascension and his return, thanks again for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to In Focus. May your world continue coming into clearer focus and may God lead you into an increasingly eternal kind of life before him. 